What is it about old men who have no shame, whether they're toweling off in the locker room, butt naked in front of everyone, or like President Joe Biden, shamefully standing up at Howard University to declare that the greatest terror threat in America today is white supremacy. As the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. In either case, our nation is filled with unquestionable moral cowards with no shame. Joe Biden's obvious attempt to extort black votes is so pandering and disingenuous, he will not mention the fact that the Democratic Party is a way bigger threat to black people than white supremacy. God forbid he take a moment to look at Democrat-run cities around America that abort more black babies than they keep alive, or even mention the fact that a study in Chicago found 55 predominantly black schools could not produce a single student proficient in reading or math. If he even once talked about real threats facing the black community, he'd have to draw a straight line between his party's policies and how they've been the primary instrument in the breakdown of the black family and the black individual. But maybe he's too busy telling black judges to hush up, boy. Hush up, boy. See, because you can't question that feeble old white man or else he'll show his true racist colors. Do you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump? And you ain't black. To notice that Joe Biden is yet again performing a gutless attempt to extort black votes from black people so that he can win another election from the basement without running on actual accomplishments is just merely another observation of the shameful way in which immoral acts from our political class are a dime a dozen. But let's give the old man a break. He barely even knows where he is half the time. And when he isn't actually stringing together sentences that are total lies, he's mumbling incoherent gibberish. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by the go, you know the, you know the thing. The modern Democratic Party is hardly the only problem that we have in society. When we look at establishment Republicans like George Santos, who when he isn't cross-dressing, he's stealing money from vets and lying about his name, allegedly. In the 2022 midterms, Santos became the first openly gay Republican elected to Congress, but he ran on a made-up resume, including a college degree he never received and jobs on Wall Street he never had, ultimately admitting that some of it was fabricated. Did I embellish my resume? Yes, I did. And he does all of this while claiming he's a victim. His marginalized intersectional status is the reason that people are going after him, not because he's a damned liar. It's not the first time that somebody's told me I don't belong and shut up and sit in the back of the room. And I refuse to do that. Our media is also complicit in the shameful nature of modern American morality. But sorry, it's not because CNN was willing to have Trump on a town hall that they're complicit. Many of you have expressed deep anger and disappointment. Many of you are upset that someone who attempted to destroy our democracy was invited to sit on a stage in front of a crowd of Republican voters to answer questions. I'm calling it the end. Dun, dun, dun. What? See, Anderson Cooper here apparently lacks the requisite shame to admit that he's the reason no one trusts the news anymore. It has nothing to do with Trump. And even if it's not him directly, his network is certainly one of the many pallbearers of truth in modern news media. When you suggest that protests are fiery but mostly peaceful, that racial riots seem like a pretty good idea in the midst of pandemic lockdowns, or that you have any moral credibility more than Fox just because your settlement for lying was a little bit less than their settlement for lying. 
The audacity of suggesting that Fox is a purveyor of misinformation is particularly galling when CNN buried the Hunter Biden laptop story, pushed the Russian collusion hoax, the Jesse Smollett hoax, falsely accused Justice Kavanaugh of rape for political gain, and consistently attempted stupid takes on just about everything. Where is the moral fortitude that used to accompany our institutions? C.S. Lewis said this, We make men without chess and expect from them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. Could it be, the further we move away from a set of moral values, the further we get not only from God, but also from the shame that we need when the truth is shoved under the rug? Could it be that once we said to hell with that little pesky Bible, that we were not only condemning our world to the insanity of secularism, but also our own souls. Today, as I show you the immigration crisis at our southern border as Title 42 is lifted, you'll see that there are shameful repercussions to the kind of border policies that the modern day left is pushing. I'll also show you today that Planned Parenthood and the culture of death in America is creating a generation of young people who basically treat human life like garbage, as you'll see in an Inside Edition story that had the guts to report on a young girl who threw her baby in the trash. And then finally, I'll show you that the shamefulness of our modern society is also permeating the church as we look at the United Methodist Church, who is continually dividing over the subject of LGBTQIA plus rights. We'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And don't forget that today's show is sponsored by our friends over at Element Home Loans. Now, I know what you may be thinking, that maybe this is not the greatest time to invest in real estate or maybe even the best time to buy a new home. Sure, the Biden administration has made home ownership more difficult than, than I can remember in the past. However, the one thing that you need to know is this. Almost every single expert in the market today is saying that home prices are only going to rise. So sure, Interest rates may be high right now, but those will climb back down, but you can always refinance in the future. And our friends over at Element Home Loan have a guarantee. Within the next five years, you can refinance your house and you can do it totally for free if the interest rates go lower than they are. Now, to get all the details of that benefit and more, you need to go to kbmtg.com to see how they can help you get in a brand new home. So don't hesitate. Don't wait. Go to kbmtg.com today and let them show you how they can help you get your family's financial future in order. In keeping with today's theme, we're going to be talking about the way the Biden administration should be ashamed of how they have taken a border crisis and turned it into a humanitarian crisis. Now, Title 42 was just lifted. And of course, Title 42 was a Trump era policy that basically said that whenever interactions took place with migrants at the border, that they could be sent back into the interior of Mexico, wherever they came from. They could be sent back into the country rather than just simply being released into the country, as has been happening in America since Biden took office. But Title 42 was just lifted on Friday, and most experts expected that there would be a surge like nobody's business at our southern border. Now, NBC reported that that surge didn't really take place as expected. So running interference for the Biden administration, they were quick to let us know the day before on Thursday that only 11,000 
interactions where the border patrol took place at our southern border and when title 42 was lifted on friday that that number was down to 6000 now the only reason that they're boasting about that number is that sure it's lower than 11000 but it's much higher than should ever be happening because biden has done the best that he can to make sure that our southern border is basically a welcome mat into the country illegally so he's been crushing records left and right and 11,000 is totally astronomical and 6,000 is totally absurd but at least it's down from what it used to be at least cbs was willing to be a little bit more honest and let us know that yeah the border rush was not as expected but still there's 60,000 migrants waiting to cross the border right now into america so there may be a couple of other reasons why the border surge did not come as expected. And that is because Greg Abbott knew that it was coming and he put rangers among other law enforcement officials at the border to make sure that he assisted other federal authorities because they couldn't possibly do the job that they were expected to do based upon the way Biden has been handling the border. So word got around in what they call whisper channels in Mexico that that this would happen and that it would be harder to cross the border now that Title 42 has been lifted. Now, there's also one other reason why we may not be seeing as high a number as we thought at our southern border, and that could simply be because it's almost impossible to count all the people who are flooding into the southern border, and 6,000 was a good round number to go with that that kind of would pacify those who are a little bit skeptical that Biden is handling the border very well in recent months and years. So I don't know this to be true. So just to be really, really clear, there's nobody that's really reporting that anyone's fudging these numbers, but I'll just show you a clip on the screen that might give you an impression that it's kind of hard to count all the people that are pouring into our southern border. And so as you can see, there are people rushing through law enforcement officials and doing their best to make sure that they illegally cross into, uh, into American territory. Now, beyond all of this, the controversy over the lifting of Title 42 and how Biden has handled, and Kamala Harris, to be fair, has handled the, the border crisis at the southern border, beyond all of that, what you should know is that Every single one of these immigrants coming into the country have a horrific story of how they have gotten here. And so I want to show you now at least one CBP agent encountering a migrant that is sneaking into the country illegally and the heartbreaking story that he has to tell. Now, because it's in Spanish, of course, I want to try to interpret it for you here. So you'll see on the screen now a young man that looks to be no more than 16 years old, um, 16, 17 years old. And you'll hear his harrowing story. He, the border agent grabs his hand and the young man winces in pain. You'll figure out here why in a moment. He says he's from Guatemala and he says that he's been coming to the United States and that the person who was escorting him to the border just abandoned him in the desert. Uh, the border agent is very, very kind and he just simply tries to calm the young man down and say it's going to be all right. And he asks him to come over and sit down. And obviously the boy is a little bit apprehensive. He says he wants to go to Los Angeles and then asks where is he? The border agent tells him that he's in Tucson, Arizona. Of course, the young man has no idea where Tucson is. So the Border Patrol agent tells him it's many, many miles from California, many miles from where you're trying to go. And he asks for someone, the young man asks for somebody to call his family. And, and the Border Patrol agent agrees and asks him to sit down in the back of the truck so that he can tend to some of his wounds. Now, he tells that Border Patrol agent that he's been in the desert and was abandoned there for about three days. Um, and so he wants to, the Border Patrol agent wants to take a look at him. 
um, and his hand was hurting because he has tons of thorns from cactuses and all sorts of other things all over his body and all in his hands and in his knee. He said the guide that was directing him beat him up and left him for dead in the desert, left him without water, without food. Um, and he asked him, when's the last time you had a drink? And he says, I haven't had anything to drink in three days. And then he asked him, if he was all alone and he said, no, there were five of us, but he's left all alone now and he knows at least one other died in the desert. So as you can see, a absolutely heartbreaking story. And it's just one of the many stories of people who are pouring into our southern border illegally because they're being shipped by people very often who are in cartels and drug addicts and are raping and abusing people if not adults, even small children. And it's absolutely tragic. And so at the end of the day, I hope we can all agree that humane immigration is necessary. And for humane immigration to take place, we have to have strong immigration. See, you can put whatever flag you want to or whatever yard sign you want to outside of your house. But the reality is, is there are illegal aliens. And those are the people who come into our country illegally. Now, very often, they're just doing what they've been told by people who are willing to extort them. But if we had a strong border, we would be stopping those evil people from abusing people and lying to them. If we had a strong border, these people would know that they have to come in the right way. Now, granted, the right way is often broken and bureaucratic and totally messed up, but it is no excuse for the kind of inhumane treatment people are undergoing as a result of Biden's border policy. And so I want to try to provide a Christian defense for a strong border. And here's why. The fear of the Lord is the ability to be embarrassed by your actions because you know there is a penalty for wrong, illicit, and even immoral action. See, very often a secular humanist society doesn't understand that there are repercussions for their actions. They have no understanding of what it truly means to take matters into your own hands and then for those repercussions to take place. They're very often without an understanding of having to pay for those things, you look at them flippantly and you don't really care about the repercussions of any of those things. Therefore, when you have a very soft immigration policy and people are being abused as a result of it, you don't think there's really a penalty that you're going to have to pay. See, an understanding of divine justice tells you that that one life that wasted away in the desert because of dehydration, exhaustion, and starvation, that one life didn't die in vain, that there is actually payment for that life. Now, not only is the person who left that individual to die in the desert responsible, but so is Biden. Biden must take responsibility for what is taking place at our southern border and the lives that are being risked as a result of bad policies. If nothing else, a belief in God would tell you that it's payday someday so that we do what is right at our southern border. That's why I think we need a little bit more of an understanding of what it actually means to believe in God beyond our very flawed understanding because it could be a cure for what's going on at our southern border. Not to mention that it might also help us with the way that we view human life as a whole, because our culture of death in America today is creating a generation of people who don't understand the value of human life. Places like Planned Parenthood and our abortion policies have done nothing more than to turn a human life into a slogan. My body, my choice, especially our youngest minds, because I want to show you a recent Inside Edition story that showcased a young girl who threw her brand new baby into a dumpster and left it for dead. It's difficult to watch. A teen mom drives up to the dumpster. In the back seat is her newborn, stuffed in a trash bag. 
Then you see her coldly tossing the baby boy right into the dumpster, like garbage. She drives off, apparently not realizing every move she made was captured on surveillance camera. It's 36 degrees in Hobbs, New Mexico, but the story doesn't end there. Nightfall comes. That same surveillance camera captures a miracle. As three dumpster divers scavenge for goods, suddenly they hear what they think is a cat. They retrieve the garbage bag. Miraculously, the baby is alive. You see the woman taking charge, her maternal instincts kicking in. She cradles the baby. You even see her kiss the infant. They call 911. 911, where is your emergency? We just found the baby in the trash. Is it breathing? Yes, ma'am. He still got his umbilical cord. He, he's whimpering. He was not crying, actually. The woman in the video seen comforting the child is April Natal. She could have took him to the hospital, took him to a church, took him somewhere other than throwing him away like a piece of trash. The teen mom was quickly tracked down. She is 18-year-old Alexia Avila and now faces attempted murder and child abuse charges. Now, this absolutely horrific story, some of you are going to say, well, this is because of the tragic way in which Roe v. Wade was overturned. It left young teenagers like this girl to think that she has no other option because she can't abort her baby. Uh, she has no other option but to throw her baby in the garbage. Now, of course, there are such a thing as safe haven laws where she could have taken that child instead of throwing it in the garbage. But uh, for those of you who think that's true, may I remind you that the overturning of Roe v. Wade simply moved the decision into states as to what they do with abortion. And you should know this. And this is from U.S. News. New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham, who is running for re-election, has cast herself as a staunch defender of access to abortion procedures. In a statement issued after the vote, she said the ordinance was an affront to the rights of personal autonomy of every woman in Hobbs in southern New Mexico, and we will not stand for it. Of course, she's speaking here of a city council meeting that voted that they would uh, restrict abortions, but of course the governor would not sign that, that into law. So Lujan Grisham, uh, the story continues to go on to say, is a Democrat and said abortion procedures are illegal throughout New Mexico and that providers delivering health care have every right to establish a practice. In June, she signed an executive order that prohibited cooperation with other states that might interfere with abortion access in New Mexico, declining to carry out any future arrest warrants from other states related to anti-abortion provisions. The order also prohibited most New Mexico state employees from assisting other states in investing or seeking sanctions against local abortion providers. So I hope you can see that specifically in Hobbs and specifically in the state of New Mexico that they are very abortion friendly and that the governor there was trying to make sure that she did whatever was necessary to make sure that you can have an abortion in New Mexico, even to the point where if like, say, in Texas, where somebody was fleeing Texas and going to New Mexico, if that's a violation of that state law in Texas, that the governor was swearing that she would she would not extradite, she would not do anything to make sure that that law was enforced in her state. So she was doing the best that she could post row to to make sure that everybody that wanted to kill their baby in New Mexico had the right to do so, as though that were some type of constitutional right. But then you should know one other fact if you believe that the overturning of Roe v. Wade is really the cause behind this girl throwing her baby in the garbage and not the very careless way the uh, culture of death in the abortion industry in America has treated human life. You should know this, that that Inside Edition story that I showed you happened uh, over a year ago. 
and happened before the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So Roe v. Wade was intact when this young girl threw her baby in the garbage. So what is this? It's nothing less than the fact that our abortion culture has treated human life as an inconvenience to be tossed aside, whether it be in the garbage behind Planned Parenthood or the garbage wherever this young girl left her baby. It's disgusting. And it's unfortunate that this young girl is a casualty of that culture. See, I think she lacks the appropriate mens rea or the the mental capacity to understand that what she just did was so was so evil and so disturbing. The only reason I say that is that the abortion industry in America has done a great job of telling you that that other heartbeat inside of your body is your body rather than another body. And so young people especially who really don't have the power to consent and think for themselves in a rational manner are are willing to believe the nonsense that is peddled by the left in our country on a regular basis which is why we have to do the best that we can to change our culture from a culture of death to a culture of life because as we can see more and more people devalue human life under the knives of abortion clinics than ever before so for all the heartstring pulling that the abortion industry has done to try to make us think that the vast majority of abortions that happen are because of rape and incest and life of the mother, the truth is, is that about only 2% of those abortions are because of life of mother, rape, and incest. And the vast majority, the 98% of abortions, and that's being charitable, are simply done out of inconvenience. What did we think would be the shameful results of that kind of mentality in in public view. Of course, it would be a devaluing of human life. It would be the exchange of a baby for a saying. Nonetheless, as we move further down the rabbit hole of progressivism, we recognize how devastating its effects are on our culture and on our children. And we'll look at that in our final story as we jump into Bible study with Democrats. Oh, God of pronouns. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but the United Methodist Church has been on one heck of a bender, alienating authentic Christians left and right as much as they possibly can as they adopt queer theology and the LGBTQIA plus agenda into many of their churches. Just last year alone, 1,800 churches left the United Methodist denomination, along with just recently in April, 200 churches leaving when they met at an assembly in Tennessee. So the United Methodist Church should not only be ashamed with the way that they're handling their denomination and the way that they're handling people, but also the way that they're handling scripture. So I'll showcase this controversy in a recent clip that took place at a United Methodist Church where a surprise female progressive pastor teaches us why the Bible doesn't really condemn homosexual marriage and call it an abomination. So here's that. That this text is a key Old Testament text of welcome. So whenever anybody mentions Leviticus to you, I want you to write down Isaiah 56, 1 through 8. Now I have to stop right there and just say this. It's very interesting to me that she is really adamant about making sure that whenever anybody quotes the Bible to you, that you can destroy their quotation of the Bible with another quotation of the Bible. 
Isn't it interesting how deconstructionists are actually interested in tearing down the Bible than actually affirming what the Bible actually says? Now, I thought they were all about affirming. It just seems that they're only about affirming where you can stick your private parts. Nonetheless, let's see if she has the goods. Are people wrongly interpreting Leviticus when it calls homosexuality an abomination? And does this verse in Isaiah actually undermine the interpretation that evangelical Christians have in terms of homosexual marriage and and homosexual activity? Well, let's see. And this is what it says. Thus says the Lord, maintain justice and do what is right, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed. Happy is the mortal who does this, the one who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and refrains from doing any evil. Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. Thus says the Lord who gathers the outcasts of Israel, I will gather others to them besides those already gathered. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks to be to God. I think it's safe to say that as bishop, I wish I could order that I never have to hear the word abomination again. Because it's misused. In the Israel, in ancient Israel with the purity code, anything that did not comply with the purity code was an abomination. So if you ate shrimp, you were an abomination. If you were a eunuch, you were an abomination. If you were a foreigner, not part of the nation of Israel, you were an abomination. And the worst abomination of all were Gentiles. So let's just say we're all in the abomination club. <laughs> but when Jesus, God made flesh came, as Paul writes in Ephesians, he broke down the walls. Okay, just stop that garbage, please. Enough. Okay, um, Bishop Sue, I wish I had the sound effect from The Price is Right when The Price is Wrong, Bob, because epic fail. Uh, not only did you do a horrible job of destroying the Bible with the Bible, but um, but also, too, that text had nothing to do, in Isaiah, that text had nothing to do with homosexuality, so I'm not quite sure how that disproves Leviticus 18, but let me just perform a little bit of housekeeping before we, before we move on. Um, what you just heard, because it may be very disorienting to you, you need to know, is kind of a postmodern interpretation of Scripture. You know, we hear a lot about gaslighting today, and gaslighting happens when people lie incrementally to you and try to disorient your understanding of reality. One of the ways gaslighting takes place is when you hear something that is so vastly and incredibly absurd that it makes you wonder if you're missing something and you second-guess yourself because it just doesn't, reson doesn't resonate as true at all, and you're just like, well, certainly Bishop Sue here has an operational prefrontal cortex, and... And, you know, you don't want to be mean to the gal. She's doing her best out there, her dead-level best. But but how is she getting where she, how is she getting any of this stuff? And so you should know, this is just simply postmodern interpretation of Scripture. Now, I'll take just a moment to explain that to you. Postmodernists perform something that is called eisegesis, not exegesis. So 
eisegesis means into the text, and exegesis means out of the text. So in other words, a person who wants to faithfully read the, read the Bible, they, they perform exegesis. They read the Bible to the best of their ability. They try to understand what it is saying. They can use external kind of historical uh, text to try to help them interpret, sure, to get the historia, historical context of the scripture, to be sure. But what they want to do is they want to try to draw as much from the text as they possibly can, rather than imposing their worldview upon the text to try to make it say what they want. Now, the postmodernist uses eisegesis, which is that they read what they want into the text, and that's what's happening here with Isaiah 56. And of course, here's the real problems with the text. Now, she is she went on to tell us that essentially, thank God for Jesus, Jesus comes along and he rescues us from the Old Testament, brings us to the age of the New Testament. Of course, Jesus is um, all loving, and he's the good guy, and God of the Old Testament is the bad guy. So the, it gives us this kind of postmodern parable as well of Jesus kind of being the rebellious teenager rebelling against his heavenly father and saying, oh, don't listen to him. He's such a hard ass. Uh, what you need to do is you just need to love everybody. But of course, she has no place where she can actually show us where Jesus undermines the teachings of Leviticus 18 in any shape, form, or fashion. And in fact, we see them you know, reaffirmed by the Apostle Paul. Suffice to say, this Marcionistic heresy of like the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament has been done over and over and over again. So let's get into the, the real problems here with her assertion. Just in case maybe somebody comes to you and says, hey, you know, uh, Jesus overturned that silly teaching in the Old Testament. Um, a lot of people will come and say, you know, the silly teaching in the Old Testament, like, you know, shellfish, do you eat shrimp? Aha, so you see. So you should encourage homosexual activity and the eating of shrimp, because all that stuff, that's, that's Old Testament, that's gone, and now we're living in the days of the New Testament. And so the idea here is that the evangelical Christian is just merely cherry-picking their favorite scriptures. Well, really, is that true? When if you look in Leviticus 18, as Sue was trying to tell us that uh, we shouldn't do because it's obviously um, she hates the word abomination and forget Leviticus 18, Jesus overturned all that. When you look in Leviticus 18, you see all sorts of things, kind of interesting things. Like, for instance, you see uh, God saying that you shouldn't perform incest, that you shouldn't, if you're a father, sleep with your daughter or your son's daughter. If you're a grandparent, you shouldn't, you shouldn't rape your own child, your own grandchild. Um, you, you see all sorts of things like that in Leviticus 18 that, that I think Sue probably would want to say Jesus would, you know, keep intact. So who is the real cherry picker here? So are we to believe that incest is just some Old Testament stupid law, but that we should be able to perform it in the present? So the reality is just simply this. Sue is a little bit either lying to us or just misinformed. It does not call eating shellfish an abomination, but it does call homosexuality an abomination because those two things are vastly different. Old Testament policies fall into a couple of different categories. Specifically, they fall into Levitical law and moral law. So when we're talking about shellfish, we're talking about Levitical law. So sure, priests take certain commitments that other people don't have to take. And this has always been the case, and it's even the case in the present, especially with Catholics. But when we're talking about the moral law, that is not something that is pick and choose as we wish to do so. That is something that we all must adhere to. So actually, what Sue is participating in here is nothing less than the ministry of pandering. She's pandering to a group of people to try to win their approval. Because, as we saw in those shirts in the background, she believes in, quote, radical love. 
Well, it just brings up the question. And it's an age-old question that has its own soundtrack. What is love? What is love? See, we should be ashamed of the kind of love that panders and changes the Bible in order to fit a group of people rather than real love, which is what C.S. Lewis called this. He said, love is not an affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for a loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. This is what Aquinas said as well. He said, loving is willing the good of the other. See, love doesn't say that the rapist's obsession with a girl is love or that the abuser abusing his lover is love. So it leads to the question, well, what truly is love? Love is not a feeling, it's not an emotion, and it's certainly not lying to a group of people to make yourself feel sympathetic or compassionate to their plight. Real love is telling the truth. See, love is commitment, love is sacrifice. That's why love can be seen so clearly in marriage and why we shouldn't change the definition of it. But you know what else is love? God is love. And as love, he has the right to set the boundaries on what love actually is. Without that, we have churches lying to a group of people who have no point. So you should know, the modern answer for people like Bishop Sue and others out there who want to rail against the evangelical church, the modern answer for shame is to change how you feel about shame rather than to change the action causing shame. That's the best this world has and it's false prophets have to offer. Continue in your demoralizing and shameful behavior, but trust me, as long as you keep on polishing that pile of crap, one day it will turn into gold. These grievance peddlers who claim they're defending the, the marginalized from the evangelical church are robbing you of the personal empowerment offered by God in the Bible to the individual and to society. As for me, I want each person to experience the power that can change not only them, but also their city. So if you're on board with that, I highly encourage you to resist the people who are merely seeking to make others feel better while forgetting that the thing that is most likely to help them feel better in the long run is to truly love them by telling them the truth. And if you're on board with that, I'd love to hear from you down below in the comment section. You can also share, like, and subscribe to this podcast, but most importantly, we can go with God. That's all the time we have. Thanks so much for watching.